welcome to the latest Dairy Dialogue podcast, number 41, for July the 19th, 2019. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this week's podcast isn't quite as long as last week's, but hopefully you'll find it just as interesting. It's been a busy news week at Dairy Reporter. Our reporter Beth Newhart is back from vacation, and we've had lots of news, including Mead Johnson talking about allergies, Onua closing a factory in England, Lactali closing its deal for Brazilian dairy company Itambe. First Milk confirmed the closure of its site on the beautiful island of Aran, which is quite close to my home. Danon triples the number of small milk producers in Mexico. SPX Flow has developed a new novel rice and milk product. Mula UK has introduced a pop-up shop in London where you can make your own yogurt flavors, among other things. And Simrise has launched a production line for liquid flavorings in Russia. There have been challenges to fines in Spain, issues over the EU-Canada trade agreement. Fonterra has commented on the New Zealand government's climate change bill, and Yili's deal for Westland got court approval, and as they say, so much more, all of which can be found on DairyReporter.com. And he said, in what sounds like a commercial, and probably is, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter on DairyReporter.com and get all the news, including this podcast, delivered to your inbox every day. And unlike the regular mail, it doesn't get wet if it's raining, and it doesn't get folded to fit in the mailbox. And you don't need a stamp. I wonder if there are any stamps with cows on or dairy products. There must be. I'll have to check. Luckily, I've got a very good postman or mailman here. He never folds things that shouldn't be folded, and his name's Jim too. And so is the guy who lives in the house directly behind me. It's so nice to be unique. However, none of the people we interviewed this week is called Jim, and I'll tell you what we do have in store for you on the program today. We talked to Arthur Fernell, an elected Arla board member in the UK and one of the Arla farmer owners trialling some new technology called Herd Vision, designed to improve cow welfare. Kind of sounds like a TV show for cows, which wouldn't be a bad idea. After that, we chat to Andre Nsengiumva, country director for Senda Cow Rwanda and Burundi, about a really interesting and empowering program helping local farmers through the introduction of Jersey cows. And then we go to the US for Saint-Gobain's Versalon XFR, an extra flexible and lightweight suction and discharge hose designed for food and beverage transfer applications. And Dan Meyer from Saint-Gobain will tell us all about it. And of course we have our weekly update on the global dairy markets with INTLFC Stone's Liam Fenton. So let's get started on this week's show. Arla, the UK's largest dairy cooperative, is launching a 3D scanning technology trial it hopes will help its farmer owners identify changes in their cow's physical well-being, mobility and weight, even before they're visible to the human eye. The technology is called herd vision, and to tell us more about it is one of the farmers that will be putting the equipment through its paces, Arthur Fernell, who is also an Arla board member. He has a farm near Chester in England, and I first asked Arthur how big his herd is. Uh, about 420 milking cows today. So quite sizable then. Um, yeah, not, not as big as some. Um, obviously, UK dairy herds are continually expanding. Um, I, mean, I think it's, it's certainly above average size, but it's not, you know, it isn't sure. in the upper leagues in terms of cow numbers. 
you mentioned you have 420 cows in the herd. I guess that's beyond the point at which you would be able to individually recognize any issues with the cows, or are you still able to do that with a herd of that size? Well, I think certainly when, when you've got a small herd, you actually know 100% of the cows individually. And now, because as herd sizes increase, I'd like to think that I know the majority of my cows individually, but there are some that you sort of see across the field and mm, not just not sure which one that one is. So, yeah, the sort of, I guess the personal touch isn't quite the same as you increase numbers, but maybe it's an age thing. If you get older, you can't quite remember the same. Uh, maybe it's a bit similar to teaching, I would imagine, that, you know, if you have a class of 20, you could probably remember well, all the names, but probably not the entire school, you know. Yeah. That's right. But, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean to say in any way that sort of, our management of the cows you know, deteriorates as herds get bigger. In fact, it probably gets better, actually. So instead of just going out and watching the cows sort of at night, in, you know, in the evening, just what's on heat, you might spend sort of half an hour just wandering around your, your cattle, just looking for certain things. So you sort of you know, put time to one side to actually go out and monitor sort of, for example, you know, if there's areas of the body where they're just sort of, where they're getting um, a, a, little, a little bit of rub, which might mean that there's sort of an issue with the feeding fence or the cubicles or, 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 or whatever. So, uh, you know, we do spend quite a bit of time just literally watching them for a variety of different reasons. Tech, how does technology come into play with that? I mean, how did you get involved with this particular program with the herd vision? Well, I'm one of the Isle of Farmers that's hoping to join the Isle UK 360 scheme. And part of the Isle UK 360 scheme is that we look at research and development that come in, and that's coming down the road. And there is masses of it, to be fair. I mean, it's actually a really exciting time to be involved in farming because, um, you know, technology is just mind-blowing. But, of course, you've got to sift through it. Some of it is, is really good and others is just sort of not particularly good. So what we do at 360 is we sort of, I guess we're on the lookout all the time for different bits of kit and pieces of technology and principles and research that's coming down the, down the line. And if, we, if, and if we find one that sort of catches our eye, then we would sort of investigate it further. And that's what we've done with this new 3D imagery system, because as all the farmers, we do have to monitor our cows for cow condition, for mobility, for cleanliness, for example, and this machine will mean that that hasn't got to be done by the human eye. It can be done by a camera and a computer. And whereas the human eye is still very important, what we think this bit of kit will do will enable us to spot problems with a cow uh, before it can be seen with a, with a naked eye. And as with all things, if you find a problem and intervene and treat it sooner rather than later, the cure rate's a lot better. So what we are going to do is put this 3D imagery into about 10 Isle Farms. I'm one that's been earmarked. And what it does, it just sits over my race that comes off my milking parlour and it takes a picture of the, of the top of the cow every time the cow passes under it. And because she's milked twice a day, she'll have a picture taken twice a day. And then over weeks and months, the computer then is very clever because it collects all the imagery and with all sorts of clever algorithms, it actually works out if the cow is losing weight 
or gaining weight, which is an important management piece of information for me. It also has the potential to look at room and fill to see how much grub she's eaten. But also it, it measures the curvature of the spine. And over time, if that changes in any particular way, it's, uh, there's a strong indication that that might be because she's starting to go lame on one particular foot. So she may not be visibly lame to the human eye, but the machine, we think, will pick up a problem in a particular foot earlier than we can do it now, which means I can pick the foot up and have a look at it. It maybe have a stone in it or something like that, which means that she's just a bit tender on it but isn't, isn't showing visible signs of lameness to me. And it means I can intervene and hopefully correct any problems well in advance of it getting to a stage where it's really going to sort of cause her bother, you know, which might mean prolonged treatment or drugs or pain relief or whatever. It, it is just getting in there a lot earlier to make sure that if there is a problem, and in some cases there may not be, if there is a problem, we really catch it in its infancy and nip it in the bud. For example, for lameness, what I currently do is my vets offer a service where they, where they send out a vet tech, which is a, a trained technician, and she will, uh, about well, it's every three months, she will stand and watch all of my cows as they walk past her, and she will mark any that she thinks are a little bit lame or just starting to go lame. And then from the list that she pulls up, and hopefully there aren't very many, sometimes there are very few, we'll pick up those feet and have a look at them. Um, so what this, on this bit of kit will do, it means I can do away with that if, it, if indeed it does work. And obviously that comes at a cost having somebody on farm. It takes three or four hours ago. I can do away with that, and I'll be monitoring the cows pretty much every single day rather than um, every three months. Now, obviously, if a cow goes visibly lame to me outside of the three months vet tech visits, then I would pick her foot up and treat it. But with this new system, I'm hoping that there will be a lot less of that because I will be intervening, picking up cows' feet and sorting out the problems well in advance of it becoming an issue where the cow is suffering from discomfort. How do you recognise each individual cow from the imagery? Is it connected somehow to a sensor on the cows? Or? Each cow has an ear tag, and there is a little chip in each ear tag. And as the cow passes under a sensor, she's recognised. Um, now, I have that system in place anyway, so they can use those same tags and link into that ID system so that they know which cow it is at any one time passing under the camera. So it's kind of at its infancy right now, then? You're just sort of trialling it, and how, how long is that trial going to take? Very much so. I mean, we're putting 10 cameras in on 10 farms, and, you know, this technology has been developed by Kingshay, and that's been developed at Bristol Robotics Lab. So it's probably going to take three or four months, I would think, of data. Farmers, I mean, it'll take a few weeks for farmers to get used to it. As I say, it takes that sort of time for the information to be built up to have an overall picture of your herd. But I would guess in three to four months, we'll have a pretty good idea whether this is something which we think really is a fantastic tool for dairy farmers, and then sort of look at rolling it out uh, amongst more farmers. And, and I suppose as, as well as the how well it works, there's also how easy it is to use, because there's no use having something that's a great piece of kit, like you said, but it's really tough to use and takes up more of your time. You know, a lot of farmers are becoming more tech savvy now but the interface with the user is going to have to be fairly straightforward. I think it's, it's, and also it's a time thing. 
what we hope it will do is that um, it will only flag up the problems. So rather than a farmer scrolling through every single cow through a computer system, um, the system will automatically just sort of alert the farmer to problems uh, or potential problems, which then means the farmer can perhaps segregate that cow out at the next milking and just check her over. I mean, a lot of farmers have already got a lot of head collars on cows which measure cow activity. So I mean, I've got that system on my farm now. So if a cow's activity goes below a preset level, according to her, say, 10-day average or above, then the system alerts you to it. And this camera might tie in quite well with existing technology. So if a cow comes in, let's say, low activity, you'd automatically be alerted to her. But if the camera system is saying that actually um, her rumen isn't very full or she's losing a little bit of weight, then you might suggest that she's got some sort of a dietary upset. So she's not, not as active as she should be. She's not as full as she should be and she's losing weight, then you'd certainly be alerted to her. And again, you'd hope that this would pick up problems earlier than you'd perhaps pick them up, you know, just by normal management techniques and the naked eye. Now we hear about an interesting and exciting program that's having a very positive effect on the lives of quite a lot of people in the small African country of Rwanda. The Send a Cow program is helping farmers and families and communities by introducing Jersey cows to farms. And to tell us more about the program is the country director for Send a Cow Rwanda and Burundi, Andre Nsengiumva. Could you tell me a little bit about the program, how and why it was developed? Yeah, the, the program is called Jersey Inkanziza. Jersey, 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 you know, the Jersey cow. Yeah. Inkanziza means good cow. Good cow in a way that the Jersey is a small cow, but producing quite a lot of milk uh, and uh, less, uh, quite good resistant to, to tropical disease. And it's producing rich milk in protein and butter and um, drinks less water. So it's easy really for a smallholder farmer in Rwanda and other uh, parts of Africa really to, to be raised compared to other big cows. So actually the program was developed because in, a in the whole framework of a big program in Rwanda called Inkanzi, uh, Girinka, Girinka, Girinka means have a cow. Uh, it's uh, also in English translated as one cow per poor family. It's a program of the Rwandan government and it's giving cows to the poor families in Rwanda. The target was 350 cows uh, over 10 years. Uh, and I think they have reached that number uh, in about 11 years or, or so. So Sendeka is one of the partners to the program and uh, one of the strongest partners in the program. And that's why we initiated that project, because we saw the benefit of the project. So one, a cow in Rwanda is not just simple, uh, it's an asset. And that's how we call it, it's, it's like an industry because it's producing milk, it's producing uh, manure. Manure is very important in our agriculture because the, we have a small lands, we have a high population density and the lands are very fragmented and they have lost really the fertility. So manure, organic manure is very important to replenish the soil fertility. So it's the whole that background that uh, 
Reuters to, to really to initiate this program, actually to help in terms of agriculture development, in terms of dairy, particularly dairy development, because uh, it, we still have a lot of children that are malnourished in, in Rwanda, though we made very, very tremendous progress in the last years. Uh, are, the, uh, are the animals bred in Rwanda or are they bred elsewhere and brought in? No, they are they are bred in Rwanda. We breed actually we breed the local cows, but also other cows that are not producing well. What's the benefit been to to people in, and families in Rwanda? The benefit is that the small the jersey being a small cow is not asking a lot in terms of husbandry, in terms of land grass volume of grass that we need to provide to it then the amount of water you have to provide it to it. For the same amount, you may get like 20, 30% higher compared to other breeds. Uh, and that is really very important. And the fact that the milk is, is rich in protein and, and butter is also essential for, for nutrition of children. And that is also give the money to the families, you know, the, the milk is, is for home consumption but also uh, meant to be sold. Uh, I mean, the surplus meant to be sold. And could you tell me a little more about the training aspect of the program? Being a program, it, it includes really a lot of things. So uh, training is one of the most important part of the project. We train farmers actually to, first of all, to understand the difference between the jersey and other cows and the benefit. We train them on how they can maintain them we, not only the Jetsi, but also other cows, uh, but also uh, we train the inseminators and animal technicians to treat the animals and also to do particularly the insemination because insemination, as you, you were asking before, that's the best way to breed the animals we use. We train local uh, inseminators. We've already trained uh, more than 60, almost 70 and we intend to train others to reach about 100 uh, inseminators. So those uh, will have to cover uh, six districts where we are working, and we wish that even in the near future we'll be having more uh, private technicians that will continue to do that work even after the project. That is really key. The training is the key, particularly training the animal inseminators and also equipping them, giving them equipment to be able to deliver the role, the work they have to do. How many people would be involved in this program in Rwanda? Uh, roughly, it's, a, it's, a, it's more than 12,000 households. So roughly, almost, um, considering also the side effect, we, we consider already reaching more than 100,000 people. And what other countries is this program in? And is it the same in every country that it's operating in? No, it's just Rwanda. It's just Rwanda that we are implementing this project. Uh, there are some, uh, you know, there are a lot of transfers of technology between countries. Kenya has tried something like that, and they want to continue. Burundi would like to do that. Uh, Zambia and also Ethiopia. But for now, the Jesse Inghanses are just uh, covering Rwanda. Where does the program go from here? What's what's the future hold for this? The future is, first of all, we are now covering six districts in Rwanda. 
we want to roll out alongside the government and other partners to roll out to other districts and demonstrate the benefits of the Jessica. We are not saying others are bad, but we want to give choices, more choices to the farmers, and they will choose really what they like while they have all the needed information. So we think in the future that the project may reach more districts than the six. We are six out of 30. So we think that uh, we'll reach more. We recently had uh, hosted, Rwanda hosted the World Agency Conference Bureau meeting, annual meeting in Rwanda, and that has really increased the profile of the Jessica Wingansiza program because it was on all the media and uh, we had two ministers attending, including the Jersey Development uh, Corporation uh, also was there. So uh, the profile was, has been really raised. I think this will reach more provinces in Rwanda, more districts, but also I think it will be rolled out within other countries where Sentecao is operating. And is production increasing? You know, with the first bone uh, in the in the first year, so they are not really yet productive. However, as I said, uh, because of the training on animal husbandry, the production has increased even with the, the existing cows, even with the local cows that normally produce one one liter or two liters, or there are also some other crossbreeds that are producing like three four liters. But now we really increase the productivity up to 50 percent which is really um, very big in a one year or two. And I suppose that also improves the economics of the situation as well, if they're producing Absolutely. more. Absolutely. It has increased the nutrition status in the household, but it has also increased their income because the, the surplus will be sold in, on the market. It's not just really that. It's creating also employment, particularly for the youth, they will be selling the milk, transporting on on motorbikes, taking the milk to the cities or to the milk collection centers. So it's giving really a lot of jobs to the young people doing that job. So it has really a lot of good impact on the communities, not only the, the targeted families, but also around. There are, there are a lot of economy that, that is developing. And I suppose it's helping women and children as well. Absolutely, on nutrition aspects. So it's also helping them to go to school. I mean, uh, I mean, if you increase the household income, then there are a lot of things that will be possible. They will be able to buy the medicine, to send the children to school, to buy a lot of items within the household. That's really the, the whole economy in the house that is improving. Now we go to Saint-Gobain, one of the world's largest building materials companies and manufacturer of innovative material solutions. It's a company that operates in more than 60 countries and for this particular interview we go to one of their US locations, as it has more than 150 in North America alone. The company has just launched Versilon XFR, an extra flexible and lightweight suction and discharge hose designed for food and beverage transfer applications. We spoke about the new launch with Dan Meyer, and I asked about the new product and its suitability for the dairy industry. Sure. No, what we did was we developed a new product uh, specifically uh, for the food and beverage and dairy industry. 
what it was as a reaction to what customers have been using in the past as suction and discharge product that is just very difficult to handle and it provided there were some safety concerns and really the market has called for something that's easier to handle. So what we did was we developed XFR, which we released here a couple of weeks ago uh, to help alleviate some of those concerns. It can be used throughout the dairy, uh, whether it be in the plant or even truck use or out in the in the loading dock. So it's very well positioned to be used throughout different applications in a dairy. And how exactly does it work? What we do is we can provide it with uh, fittings, either our reseal fittings or permanent fittings. Uh, when you have the appropriate fittings on it, it makes the hose a 3A. 62-02 approved or compliant for use in, in different applications. So whether it be a tri-clamp type fitting or a bevel seat and nuts, any approved 3A fitting, we would assemble the hose in, in our facility or one of our fabricating distributors would uh, assemble the hose and, and provide a, uh, a local service to the uh, customer wherever they may be located. And, and what are the benefits to this over existing products? What, how, what is it in terms of an advancement? Yeah, really the biggest benefit is easier to handle. So there's less concern. Uh, it's a lot more flexible and the force to bend is greatly reduced versus existing products out there. So it makes it easier to handle for uh, folks uh, in the plant, whether it be in the receiving uh, receiving bay or in the plant itself. Uh, th- these hoses tend to be handled quite a bit throughout the day. Actually, you know, 24 hours a day, t- they tend to be uh, drug around or uh, hooked up, changed out, cleaned, whatever the case might be. And what this does is provide a lighter, more flexible solution just to make it easier on the uh, workforce. What's the composition of the hose? The liner is a bromobutyl, and the uh, jacket is a convoluted uh, thermoplastic material, which is a, a very easy to clean versus other products as well. The liner itself and the cover are both uh, FDA compliant. And like I said, when you put the appropriate fittings on there, the hose assembly itself is 3A62-02 approved. And I suppose it also makes things a little bit more efficient. If it's easier to clean and it's lighter, then it's more efficient and less time-consuming. Absolutely. Definitely time reduction and, quite honestly, complaints uh, from the teams who handle it. Yeah, absolutely. I can well imagine. Yeah, If they're happy, then everybody else is happy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> nice thing, too, is, you know, we have this available in, in one-inch uh, ID up through three-inch, and it can handle up to uh, right around 250 degrees Fahrenheit or 120 degrees Celsius. And where is it available? We currently have uh, inventory available in our Somerset, New Jersey facility uh, in the U.S., but we do have representatives globally to help end users uh, with the specification or just uh, with questions they may have and being able to source this product. Obviously, you said it's only been on the market a couple of weeks. How long did it take to develop? Well, the development process really started a couple of years ago, and what we did for this is we interviewed key distributors as well as end users and just really find out what is needed in this marketplace, uh, you know, what is needed in this market. And we've received a wide variety of responses, but really what stood out is we need something lighter and something more flexible. So this is really a, uh, a reaction to what the market has been calling for. Once it's hit the market and you start to get comments, and is it something that you would take comments and tweak if you need to? Of course, yeah. I mean, uh, whether it be other sizes or... Uh, as people start to use it, if there's something we need to tweak, we'll certainly take that into uh, consideration. 
And in terms of the, the price of it, is it significant because it's an improvement? Is it significantly more or is it really economically viable for companies? We definitely find it. Uh, we did a lot of research on this uh, and we found it to be very competitive in the industry from a price standpoint. But really what you're getting out of it is, you know, from a safety aspect and just an ergonomic aspect for the uh, for the employees themselves, you're gaining a huge benefit there. As everyone knows, safety and, uh, and transporting milk is the number one objective, obviously. And as a, as a company, we are very uh, stringent on global compliance or compliance. And uh, we have taken the time to make sure that it is FDA as well as 3A compliant. And obviously, you have your own testing facilities, but was it tested in the field as well to gauge how well it was working? We provided some samples uh, for customers. A lot of the testing was done internally, so we've done our own internal then uh, testing as well as pressure testing and so forth. All of our assemblies uh, that we make in our facility are tested for pressure, so to assure that there's no leaks once the uh, assembly arrives at the customer's facility. I know you said it's only been a short time since it's been available on the market, but has there been any reaction to it yet from customers? So far, the uh, reaction has been extremely positive. We've uh, showed it to a few key customers and over the last month or two and have had very uh, positive reactions so far. So still in the very early stages, but we expect this to take off uh, quite nicely. And now it's time to find out what's happening with the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTLFC Stone. Butter this week seems to have found some support following the previous week's softness, leading to slight increase in prices. It's hard to see any fundamental change really as to why this would have been the case, given we've had a a continuation of the same weather and therefore supply and demand dynamics really. Uh, One factor all right was the stronger than expected uh, GGT, which while only up overall about 2.7% on larger volumes, did have the likes of butter in contract one and contract two up 5.5 and 2.6% respectively. Quarter three was up about uh, 25 euros to 3,700 and quarter four up about uh, 15 euros to 37.75. Quarter one settled around the 3,900 level in, in futures. Skimmel powder remained relatively stable also with quarter four flat at around the 2,180 level. Quarter three was up twenty one fifty, up to twenty one fifty from around twenty one forty, and uh, quarter one twenty twenty up twenty euros to the twenty two fifty five level. Uh, this also benefited probably from the GDT price action, where skim milk powder was up uh, about three point eight percent overall, so relatively strong GDT again for for skim. Whey definitely took a hit uh, this week, down about forty euros. Consensus market comments seem to be revolve around the African swine situation uh, in China. Thank you, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it. Another half an hour or so gone in the blink of an eye. And we'll be back next week with more interviews from what's happening in the dairy industry. We have a few lined up, but I'm not going to count my chickens, so to speak, just in case. So you'll just have to listen in and the suspense will be terrible all week. Or perhaps it won't. Of course, if you'd like to be on the podcast or you know someone who should be, just get in touch through the website. We love to hear from you and 
to keep this a truly global podcast. And it's painless, unless of course you drop the phone on your foot when we're recording. And so, until next week, when maybe it will have stopped raining here, I hope you have a great week, and thanks for listening.